Welcome to Cancer Conversations, a podcast series from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. In this episode from July 2014, Dr. Huma Rana, Clinical Director of Dana-Farber's Center for Cancer Genetics and Prevention, gives an overview of the link between genetics and women's cancers, and why some women have a higher risk for developing disease. Anne Dorr from Dana-Farber's Communications Department joins her for the conversation. So let's start today by hearing a little bit about you, Dr. Rana. How did you get into this field? So I'm, as you know, I'm clinical director of the Cancer Genetics and Prevention Disease Center. I'm trained in internal medicine and in genetics and focus mainly or only on cancer, hereditary cancer predisposition syndromes. Terrific. Okay, we'll start with the questions then. Right off the bat, who should seek genetic testing? So that's a that's a great question. Um, there are very there are various criteria for having genetic testing or seeking genetic testing. In general, um, obviously, if there's a mutation present in someone's family, their family members should undergo genetic testing right. specifically for that mutation or alteration. There are patterns of cancers that can suggest that there is an underlying mutation present in a family. So some of the things that we look at um, are families where there are multiple people with breast cancers, premenopausal breast cancers or breast cancers diagnosed under the age of 50. Anyone, and this is per the new NCCN guidelines as of 2014, anyone diagnosed with an ovarian cancer should have genetic testing, a primary peritoneal cancer, or a fallopian tube cancer. It's, the, it's essentially the same type of cancer, and so they should have genetic testing. Um, people who have cancers that develop at much younger ages of onset than would be expected. So very young colorectal cancers, people who've had more than one type of cancer. So someone who's had separate breast cancers or bilateral breast cancers. So as you can see, the list is probably, is pretty long right. and it's ever expanding. Um, people who've had pediatric cancers, they're also at risk for harboring uh, a hereditary predisposition. You know, and for some people, uh, it might be a little scary when they think of genetic testing, but what, you know, what is the process like? What does it entail? So it involves meeting with a genetic counselor, reviewing one's personal and family history of cancer, talking about the risks and benefits of genetic testing, going over the implications of genetic testing, either a positive genetic test result or a negative genetic test result, and essentially um, signing some papers and having one's blood drawn or having one's saliva tested. Nothing too invasive. Nothing too invasive. Okay. <laughs> uh, what kind of information should someone provide to a genetic counselor? So if someone's had cancer themselves, bringing their pathology report is really incredibly helpful. Um, if they haven't had cancer and there's a strong family history of cancer, really knowing the ages at diagnosis of cancer in their family members, the type of cancer that was diagnosed, um, if they have pathology reports of their family members, that can be very helpful because sometimes the specific histology on the pathology report of a cancer can be a clue to an underlying mutation. Um, if family members have had genetic testing, bringing those genetic test results or copies of those results, whether they're positive or negative, can be helpful because then we can look at the type of testing that's been done or the extent of testing that's been done previously in the family. 
information about pre-malignant conditions like DCIS or uh, colorectal polyps or adenomas, that's all actually very helpful. Okay. And you know, we touched upon this a little bit with family history, but what's the difference between inherited genetic mutations and non-hereditary gene mutations? Okay. So essentially all of the cells in our body, all the cells that make up our, our tissues, our organs, basically every cell except for red blood cells contains our genetic information. And so that, and that includes sort of 22,000 genes. So cancer cells or tumor cells use the same genes that we have in every cell of our body. They exploit those same genetic pathways, so they cause, um, they grow by causing mutations or causing um, tumor suppressor genes to not function or by enhancing the function of genes that help them to grow or oncogenes. So when we talk about hereditary genes, we're talking about the ones that were most that we're born with and that we pass down that are present in all of our cells. When we talk about ones that are not hereditary, we're often talking about alterations that are present within the tumor or within the cancer. Now for, uh, for her, um, one of you asked, for hereditary breast cancer risk, which family member's cancer history of that matters most? So that's an interesting question. I think that there's um, sometimes, we hear people say that, um, that there are that the mother's family matters more. That's actually not true. So half of our genetic information comes from, is inherited from our mothers, the other half comes from our fathers. So if there's a striking family history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer on the father's side of the family, that's just as important, just as salient as the mother's family's history. Uh, another question is, I was tested for the BRCA1 and BRCA2 and the results were negative, but I was still diagnosed with breast cancer. Why is that? So breast cancer um, is a multifactorial disease, meaning that it's due to it's uh, the development of breast cancer is due to a number of of things that can occur. So that can be genetic, it can be environmental, it can be lifestyle related, hormone related, and so testing negative for BRCA1 or 2 doesn't mean that someone won't develop breast cancer. We know that BRCA1 and 2 are really just a small portion of why people develop breast cancer. In terms of any comer with breast cancer or families with breast cancer, those genes only account for 5 to 10 percent of, of the breast cancers that occur. This is kind of a, okay, there's a couple of parts to this one, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. So this viewer says, how does a person acquire the BRCA gene when there is no family history? Is it spontaneous? Uh, she says she's the BRCA2, she is BRCA2 positive, and she does not have a family history of the gene, although her mother died last year at the age of 97. She had breast cancer in her 70s. So... Most, so some genes, there's something that we call um, a, a de novo mutation rate. Most genes have that. That means that when the egg and the sperm come together, there's a new mutation that occurs. Um, for the most part, BRCA1 and 2 mutations are inherited, so one would expect that her BRCA2 mutation, correct, is either from her mother mm -hmm. or from her father. What we often can see is that these are inherited um, from fathers, and if there are lots of, there are not a lot of women on that side of the family, it can appear as though there's no history of, or no hereditary breast cancer, but the truth is that that side of the family is just not informative. Right. Another question from a viewer. 
She says, I have tested positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation and was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer in August 2010. Three years later, I found out that the cancer had metastasized to my liver and bones, and I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Is the thyroid cancer due to the BRCA gene? It's not that we know of at this time. I think that um, no, uh, thus far, no studies have shown that having a BRCA alteration causes a higher risk of thyroid cancer. Right. But I think as more and more people are tested, it's possible that new associations may emerge. We just don't know yet. Exactly. Uh, this viewer says, if my mother was positive for BRCA and I am as well, what are the chances my daughter will test positive? So for someone who has a BRCA mutation, that means they have one working copy of the gene and one non-working copy of the gene. When you have a child, it's really, it's um, by chance which copy is passed down. So it's a 50-50 chance for any first degree relative of someone who has a mutation. So that's, uh, that's daughters, sons, siblings, all of them. And at what age would you recommend children undergo genetic testing if you had questions? So that's a good question and it really depends on the cancer syndrome. So for BRCA1 and 2, for things like Lynch syndrome, the risks are mainly adult, adulthood cancer risks, and so we recommend people wait until they're at least age 18 or at the time that their cancer surveillance or risk management would change. So for BRCA1 and 2, that's at about age 25. Um, there are other cancer syndromes, so Leaf-Romani syndrome, familial adenomatous polyposis, MEN2 or multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2 where there are pediatric cancer risks and so in those situations we do recommend that children be tested. And, it, and a question like that would be something you would discuss with your doctor. Exactly. Um, this viewer says my maternal grandmother, aunt and cousin, all on the same side of the family, have been diagnosed with breast cancer. My cousin has been tested for the BRCA mutation, but it came back negative. I see an oncologist on a regular basis due to the family history of cancer, but what would you recommend genetic, would you recommend genetic testing as well? So it sounds like this person is getting the care that she needs and close surveillance by being followed with an oncologist. Um, it sounds like there is a concern in that side, on that side of the family with the grandmother, the aunt, and the I imagine it's that aunt's daughter right. who has breast cancer, and it sounds like that um, cousin has tested negative for BRCA1 and 2, but I do think that there's updated genetic testing that that cousin who's affected could do, and that would probably be the most informative for everyone. So um, BRCA testing has changed so that it's more comprehensive. There are now other genes that can be evaluated. So. That, I think the having the affected individual in that family have more testing is probably the best next step. Uh, this person says, is it okay for someone with a positive BRCA mutation to take birth control pills and do they have any correlation? So that's a, a question we get a lot. Um, there, so there's some data to suggest that women who take oral contraceptives, including women who are higher at high risk for breast and ovarian cancer can uh, reduce their risk of developing ovarian cancer. 
by being on oral contraceptives. There has also, however, been data that shows that they may be at increased risk for breast cancer. Those studies have been much more mixed and they haven't sort of consistently shown that there's a significantly increased risk for breast cancer among BRCA carriers. And so for that reason, oral contraceptives are not contraindicated in BRCA carriers. Uh, this viewer says, I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer when I was 38 and the cancer has returned twice. However, I tested negative for BRCA1 and 2 in 1998. Is it possible there is another gene that may not have been identified when I was tested in 1998? So it's certainly possible that there's another gene at play or that the testing that was done, we know that the testing that was being done in 1998 of the BRCA1 and 2 genes is uh, nowhere near as comprehensive as it is now. So testing then involved what we call full sequencing only, so essentially a spell check of the gene. Um, there are other types of mutations or alterations that occur in those genes that are not picked up in a spell check or in full sequencing. Those are things that are rearrangements or deletions or duplications and that, um, that so, her testing can certainly be updated so that it includes comprehensive testing of BRCA1 and 2, including looking for these other types of changes, as well as other genes that are now implicated in breast cancer development. On that question too, would you recommend people who had the gene testing done 10, 15 years ago to come and have it done again? I, I think that if someone has a striking history, such as this woman who was diagnosed with a breast cancer at age 38, right. or there's a striking family history, I would recommend that people be retested. Um, this analysis, this um, deletion, rearrangement, duplication type analysis, it wasn't instituted until 2006. Even then, it, had, it hasn't become part um, integrated as part of the test until 2013. So there are probably a number of people out there who've had sort of um, suboptimal testing of BRCA1 and 2. Uh, this viewer says, my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2006, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer, DCIS, in 2007. Neither of us have been genetically tested, but it is possible that there is a genetic link between the two cancers. Should I have my children tested? So there, I mean, recently we've learned that um, prostate cancers are part of BRC, in particular part of BRCA2, um, may also be part of the spectrum of cancers in BRCA1. There's certainly evidence that men with BRCA2 mutations have more aggressive prostate cancers than men without BRCA2 mutations. Um, I don't, I don't think that uh, this person's children need to be tested per se. As with all genetic testing, it's most useful if the person who's had the cancer or the precancerous condition undergo the genetic testing. This is an interesting question. In the case of identical twins, do both twins need to be tested if there's a strong family history of breast cancer? And the viewer says, I am an identical twin and was told that only one of us needs to be tested to find out if we both have the BRCA gene. So that's a good question, and I think it depends on how confident you are that you're actually sort of monozygotic twins versus dizygotic twins. And I think if there's any question at all about it, um, that I would recommend that both that each individual be tested. Um, if you're absolutely confident and you've had other genetic testing that shows that you're monozygotic twins, then it's obviously I think it's less important. 
This viewer says, I keep reading about genetic testing becoming more common. Are we close to a point where everyone will be routinely screened if they want for common genetic mutations? I think we are coming closer to that point, although that point is still <laughs> probably very far off. Right. Um, yeah, the more testing that we're doing, the more changes we're finding in these genes. And um, it's hard to know from an informatic standpoint what those changes mean um, in terms of how they affect the function of the protein, if at all. And then on an even larger standpoint, it's hard to know what that means for an individual who's carrying an alteration in those genes. And so I think ultimately we will probably get there. We're far from there at this time. Often, you know, the more expansive the testing, the, the more questions that it can raise. This is a big question. A lot, a lot of um, people are, are wondering, does insurance typically pay for genetic testing? So most insurance companies have a criteria that they've come up with for genetic testing. And for some companies that involves a personal cancer diagnosis for other companies that involves a certain that certain family history criteria be met. But most insurance companies address genetic testing in some way. And what, what's the cost if you don't have insurance? So the cost is, um, is dropping dramatically. And so it was not long ago that looking at just the BRCA1 or 2 genes would cost nearly $4,000. Um, as I think many people may know that the Supreme Court um, unanimously overturned um, one company's patent on BRCA1 and 2, and so that led to competition in the field. And basically overnight, the cost dropped by half. And now people can have sort of, um, those genes as well as other genes looked at for out-of-pocket costs that are around $2,000 or less than that. It's still, I, I think that's still a lot of money to spend out of pocket. Right. Um, and I imagine that with time, it'll only go down. Is there a um, criteria for finding a, um, a place to get the genetic testing done? Is there, as far as finding a reputable place to get it done, should it always be at a hospital? Or what would you recommend? I would recommend that people have genetic testing done through groups or centers where they have a lot of experience with genetic testing, ideally in the setting of genetic counseling, because I think that it's, you know, a positive test result is fairly straightforward. A negative test result can, as, as we've seen with these questions, can, right. it can actually be m more complicated. And obviously when there's any variants or alterations in some of these genes, you just want to make sure that people are looking at the family history um, and the genetic testing in sort of a rigorous manner. This just in, you mentioned new genes in ovarian cancer development. Can you name them? Uh, this viewer says she was tested in 2010 and wondered if she should get tested again. There, are, there was a study that was done in 2011 looking at women with ovarian cancer. And what they did was they looked at a number of genes that um, are associated with cancer development. So some of them are genes that cause colorectal cancer and endometrial cancer. Some of them are genes that are within the BRCA1 and 2 pathway, meaning that the proteins that those genes produce work closely with BRCA1 and 2 to uh, repair errors that occur in DNA. So some of those genes are called PALB2, RAD51C, RAD51D, and so there is more testing that is available to people, as you could certainly have more expanded testing.
Okay, and another question for someone who just um, sent this in. I am trying to decide whether to have genetic testing for the BRCA gene. I was treated with AML leukemia in 2012. I had chemo and stem cell transplants. I was just diagnosed with uh, grade three, stage zero, grade three breast cancer. No one in my family has genetic testing. I have a daughter and two sons and am concerned about their cancer risks. So that's um, She's trying to decide if she should get genetic testing. So I think that given her history, I would probably think about some other um, genes in addition to BRCA1 and 2. She has had a stem cell transplant, and so um, her, her genetic testing would need to be done on a, essentially on a skin biopsy. So we would do, a, if she were seen here or wherever she's seen, they would, they would do a skin biopsy. They would grow out the, um, the, they would culture the cells from the skin biopsy, essentially they would culture the fibroblasts, they would isolate the DNA from those fibroblasts, and then send that for genetic testing, because obviously the, the blood testing would not be her DNA. Right. Uh, can you offer some prevention tips for women who have tested positive for BRCA mutations? So there are, um, so women with BRCA mutations, we know that there are risks for Breast cancers are, are is 50 to 85 percent over their lifetime, compared to the general population risk of 10 to uh, 10 to 12 percent, and so in, there are a number of management strategies. So some of them are surveillance, and then it sounds like this person's asking specifically about prevention. So when it comes to preventing, was it and was it breast cancer or any cancer? Uh, breast cancer. Okay. So when it comes to preventing breast cancer and BRCA carriers. There are um, a few strategies. So one is called chemo prevention. So medications like tamoxifen, raloxifene, exemestane, these have been shown to reduce the risk for invasive estrogen receptor or hormone receptor positive breast cancers. Um, so that's one option that's available to people. Another option is bilateral preventive mastectomies, which reduce the risk for breast cancer by about 90%, so very effective prevention. Uh, someone just wrote this in, would you recommend pelvic exams and pap tests for someone who is BRCA1 positive but has had ovarian and fallopian tubes removed? So pelvic exams and pap smears, those are so I think pelvic exams are actually now controversial, <laughs> and pap smears have, the recommendations for pap smears have also changed recently. I would recommend that they have regular gynecological care with their physicians, um, and you know, those tests are mainly targeted for other cancers, not for BRCA-related cancers, but paps were developed to uh, find cervical cancers. And finally, is there any new or upcoming research you would like to share in regards to genetic testing, something that may make a difference in the lives of patients? So I think that one of the things that's new and exciting and is going to make a difference uh, for patients are these other genes that we're finding in families that, so there have always been families that have increased risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer or just breast cancer or just ovarian cancer, and thus far testing has been negative in those families, we are starting to find changes in other genes that could explain those families. And I think that that's really what is the most exciting thing at this time, where you know it took 20 years or so for us to get to where we are with BRCA1 and 2, right. and to have all of the information that we have. 
So it will take some time for us to give that information back to uh, people and say, so a, a, you know, a mutation in the PALB2 gene means that one's risk for breast cancer is X or their risk for ovarian cancer is increased or not increased at all. And that's what a lot of the research is focusing on now. This has been Dana-Farber's Cancer Conversations, featuring Dr. Huma Rana of Dana-Farber's Center for Cancer Genetics and Prevention. To download more episodes and learn about other cancer podcast series, visit DanaFarber.org slash podcasts.